So turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. Raise your hand nice and high if you do not have a Bible. Pastor Mark and I, we are, uh, we are going through a series on Sunday night. It's called The Art of Joy. We've been going through the book of Philippians together. And uh, uh, this is from Philippians chapter 2. So for those of you that also attend Sunday nights, this will be review for you. But um, it's just been really blessing Pastor Mark and I um, as we've been teaching this on Sunday evening service. And wanted to share some, some things with you as well. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So we are going to read the first few verses. So uh, if you would stand with me for the reading of the word of the Lord. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let Nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. Are we ready? Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, we acknowledge that you are the source of joy. Christ, we, we ask that you would be utmost in our affections this morning. Lord, as, as we study your word and as we digest it, God, I pray that uh, more than it being something that, uh, that satisfies us for a Sunday, more so than being just going to church as usual, I pray that we would let your word, nothing else, no words of man, but God, your holy word, dwell richly in our hearts and change our lives, Lord. We love you, and you love us, and so God, uh, commune with us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a seat, have a seat. I like to use a lot of scripture and quote a lot of scripture because I'm young and I don't have very good things to say. <laughs> so, so I let God do all the talking. And, and so uh, I actually, I have a PowerPoint for you guys. Just all the scripture will be up here for you guys while you read it. I want, I want you guys to make sure that I'm not just pulling this stuff out of my, out of my head. And, um, cause you know, it's easy. Oh, the young guy, you know, I don't got much good stuff to say. It's all, it's all Jesus here. So, um, it says right here, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort and love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. You see, joy, joy is really this, this funny concept because I, I, I honestly feel like, and we see it later on in Philippians chapter 4, where, where Paul basically just says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And, and he's constantly telling the Philippian church, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And do you know what's funny about this entire thing is that uh, the church in Philippi was historically, and in, in Paul's opinion, the most joyful of the churches, right? And he's telling them to even have joy on top of joy. And so it's very interesting, this concept of joy, because here's the thing, when trials are occurring, when tough times are happening, or maybe you don't even need a trial, you're just in a bad mood, right? We we don't always need trials to feel depressed, yeah? You know, not not everything has, but, but when we do 
feel depressed, when we do feel this time of agitation or, or anxiousness, many times and most often do we think of all the bad that's happening, right? If you're in a bad mood, you're automatically thinking of everything bad that's ever happened to you ever, right? And using it to justify the bad mood that you're already in. And so joy is this funny concept because on the surface level, it almost seems like Paul's just telling us to cheer up, you know? And I feel like the Bible is that way sometimes. The Bible is that way where, where on the surface level, yeah, Paul's telling me to just, just cheer up, right? But it's not that simple, right? It's not that simple. You can't just tell me, feel better. You, you have that friend, you know, where you're going through a really hard time. They're like, come on, it's not that bad, right? And you're like, yeah, it is, right? It is that bad. It is that bad. At least it is for me. And so, you know, joy, and we're, you know, today we're kind of going to be, going to be talking. And as I said, if you've been here on Sunday nights, it's going to be a little bit of review. But, but today we're going to be talking about joy's foundation. The foundation behind joy, I love what Pastor Mark actually described a few weeks ago, is that the joy is the safety net when happiness fails. You see, happiness is great. Happiness is amazing. It's, it's good to experience happiness, but happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is circumstantial, which means there's going to be awesome things that happen to us, but there's going to be some not so awesome things that happen to us as well. So these amazing things that come into our lives, they make us happy. But when that's removed, the safety net is joy. And, and we're going to talk about that foundation this morning. Joy's foundation is a is a Christ-centered life. I'm just going to give it away for you right now. Joy's foundation is found in a Christ-centered life, and Joy's function, the function of joy, is using that Christ-centered life to be others-minded, as we read here. And so Paul, as he says, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort in love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. You see, Paul is challenging us. Paul is challenging us here in this passage by saying, if Christ is truly comforting as you say he is, you're a Christian, right? So if Christ, you declare Christ to be comforting, you declare him to be powerful, you declare him to be loving, you declare him to be all of these things, you, you name Christ this way. If he is comforting, if he is truly your source of love, if he is the one whom you receive all blessings, if he is the one who gives you joy, Paul is challenging us, then act upon that. Put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, right? If you declare Christ to be so great and elevated in your life, then act upon it, right? And verses 1 through 4 are a foundation for the rest of the chapter and are meant to be, uh, they're meant to present really two questions to us. These two questions are, is Christ the center of who you are? Now, I'm not saying, do you love Christ? And I'm not saying, are you a Christian? Is Christ the center, the utmost in your affections? And second question, does your life reflect that? Is Christ the center? Does your life reflect his centrality in your life? It says right here, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even to death on the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Hallelujah. Now, we live in our lives, and it's really interesting as we, as we look into the life of Jesus, we live our personal lives in, in expectation. There are, our life is full of different expectations. Our expectations also, they differ based upon our norms, what we believe to be normative in our lives. We expect things that have occurred in the past. 
That is how our minds functions. What we're used to, our past circumstances will dictate our anticipation of future circumstances. This is just how, how, how our minds work. This is how we operate. I'll give you a few examples. If you, if you grew up in a home, right? if you grew up in a home where your mother and father, they loved and served one another, you grew up in a Christian home where, where your mom you know, uh, loved you and adored you and made sure the home was, was, was a safe and good place, and your father, he paid attention to you. He didn't just, he didn't just come home, clock out, and go on his computer or, or go watch TV. If you lived in a home where, uh, where, where your father was attentive and your mother was loving, they loved each other. They weren't perfect, but they loved each other. They, they had their differences. They had their fights every once in a while, fell on difficult times eventually, you know, every once in a while. But if you lived in a home where mom and dad loved each other and mom and dad loved you, but then all of a sudden, fast forward to your marriage, and now you're surprised that you're going through so much struggles in yours, in your marriage, Right? You see, your past circumstances, your past circumstances, they, they dictate what your future expectations are, right? So you grew up in this, in this perfect home, right? And now your home is falling apart, and it's devastating you because of your expectations, right? I thought marriage was going to be easy. It seemed easy for my parents, right? I thought parenting was going to be easy. It seemed easy while they were parenting me, right? I'll give you another example for, for those of you that are my age and can't relate. Well, I, for, for as long as you can remember, for some of you, in school you have gotten straight A's. All throughout elementary, junior high, high school, just nothing but straight A's. The occasional B. But, you, you know, you've been known as this honor student, you know, an athlete or whatever. And then all of a sudden, fast forward to college and you have no idea why you can barely keep a C. And it's devastating you. Right? Your expectations are stemmed from the past. Yeah. A few more examples. You have a history of bad relationships, getting abused, not being cared for. You have a history of your father being bad to you or your mother being bad to you, translated into your dating relationships. And now fast forward to your marriage. You can't seem to trust your husband for some reason can't seem to trust your wife for some reason. Your past is affecting your future. Your past circumstances are dictating what you think your future circumstances are going to be. So you finally find somebody that loves you and cares for you, but you have a hard time accepting that love because of what you've gone through. Or... You know, for some of you, if you can relate to this last example, your entire life, your parents have told you that you are just the best thing that has ever happened to this universe, right? <laughs> that you are the bright and morning star of this world, right? And the world is lucky to have you, their little baby boy, right? <laughs> But you, you've grown up and, and you, you have had nothing but, but just glitter just thrown your way, right? And, and, and everybody, even in, in school and, and maybe even in your relationships, you have just been told that you are amazing and that you are the best thing that has ever happened, right? And that the world is lucky to have you and so is God, right? But then this dictates your expectations towards how you think your boss should interact with you, right? How you think your wife should interact with you, how you think your husband should interact with you. This is to say how you, how you think your friends should treat you, right? And you have these expectations of something. And it dictates what you think should, you should receive based on what you have grown up with. I have another verse for you. Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Christ, Christ is the center of the universe. You see, you might have grown up thinking that you're the center of the universe, but Christ literally is. Right? Christ is literally, he, he is the one who has created all and for him. Right? He created everything and by everything is supposed to worship him. Christ is first and foremost, all things by him for him. He is declared by Colossians and the whole Bible, Old Testament and New. He is firstborn of all creation. All-powerful, all-sustaining, Savior, Lord, God, King of the universe. That is Christ. That is Christ. And that's how it's always been for all of eternity. Now remember, if God is eternal, there's no beginning to eternity. Right? Eternity never began somewhere and it never ends somewhere, right? So for all of eternity, Christ is preeminent. Yeah? Christ is first. All of eternity. Now, all things are for him and by him. Yet when it came to coming down on earth, he didn't expect anything. Now, if anyone's supposed to expect worship, expect praise, if anyone is supposed to expect good favor, if anyone is to expect anything good, it should be Christ. But when he came to earth, he didn't expect any kind of special treatment from us. That blows my mind. Everything man creates, everything we create, guys, is meant to serve us. Name one invention that really, ultimately, isn't meant to serve us. Right? Everything we make. Even stuff we make for the environment, even stuff we make for our pets, ultimately is for us, our pleasure, our joy. Everything is for us. Everything we make, us. It's to please us, make our lives better. But God came down. But God came down to us so that his affection and love towards us might be known. That God would create us and then say, no, 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 I'll serve you. What What a broken image of God we are that everything we create serves ourselves. When the creator God, he created us so that he might serve us. Pour upon his love towards us. Guys, that's, that is, you know, if you're, if you're ever doubting, like, oh, there's so many different religions out there. Which one is real? Which one isn't? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. One thing that separates Christianity from every other religion, our God came and served us. That's crazy. Every other religion, they want to instill fear or some sort of merit base so that we can elevate ourselves up to God. Now, the fact that Christ came down and clothed himself in humility and endured the entirety of God's wrath ought to dumbfound us. It ought to blow our minds that God, creator God, would come down and clothe himself in our wickedness. Take every bad thing you have ever done, every sin that you have ever committed, Take it off of your shoulders and put it on his own so that all the punishment that was stored up for you might be poured upon him instead. That he would wear your wickedness so that you might wear his righteousness. You see, when we're talking about joy, we're at the foundation for it. We need to understand that it is Christ that ought to be preeminent. 
that a knowledge of Christ and what he has done for us and who he is to us is the basis of our joy. You see, we honor heroes that have made the ultimate sacrifice for people, especially in America. America supports their troops like no other country, really. We, we, we support our troops. We honor our heroes. We build up monuments to those that have given their lives and sacrificed themselves. We make movies for them. Hollywood is just bursting with heroes and heroes. Our, our, our lives, we, we, we're, we're always looking at these past presidents or these past war heroes or anyone in the past that has just been self-sacrificing and a great leader. Do we elevate Christ to the same degree in our society? Do we elevate Christ and his sacrifice in our lives as we do those that have served and given their lives for us? Jesus, he's, when, uh, there's, a, there's a story in Luke chapter 10, and I love this. In Luke chapter 10, um, Jesus sent out 72 of his disciples 72 of his disciples to go and heal people, proclaim the gospel, cast out demons in his name. He he just sent them all out to disperse among the entire city to go heal people and help people. And it says in Luke chapter 10, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he, uh, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Listen to this. Listen to this last verse. Verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I want to establish this foundation of joy for you. Oh, I, because, because you know what? It's really easy for me to get up here and tell you, hey, your circumstances, they don't mean anything compared to the awesomeness of God. Go have joy. See you later, right? Because that's not going to fix anything for you. Go feel better. You know, that's it, you know, and, and I, I, can't, I can't do that for you. I can't leave you with just, hey, go and rejoice. I, there's something specific that God wants you to rejoice in. And as it declares in Isaiah chapter 11, I believe, in Isaiah chapter 11 or 12, it, the Bible literally says there really isn't going to be joy until Jesus Real joy. There's rejoicing, which is another word for just feeling happy, but then there's the joy that Jesus brings. And now it's here. And I want to establish this foundation. I don't want you to get, I don't want to give you a four step article either. A four step process and how to receive joy because we always want lists. We always want lists. Give me four steps, how I can be joyful no matter what, then send me on my way. Right? That's not going to help. And as we'll learn tonight, if you come, (laughs) things we can quantify are things that we can complicate. right? Things that we can formulate in our heads are things that we can complicate in our heads. If God gave us a four-step process for joy, we'd screw it up. Right? (laughs) God says, hey, do you know what? Here's four exact things you need to do to experience a, a thriving life. Right? One, two, three, four, bam. The second, the, the second we get that list, we'll be like, all right, how can I skip number two and three? Right? This is the first thing that we would do as people. God, if God actually gave you a list of how to receive joy, you would just try to find out how to get it faster. Right? You would skip one of the steps, or you would try to like warp one of the steps. Right? I mean, that's what I would do. You're better than I am. Right? But that's me. Okay, and so anything that that anything that I can formulate is something I can complicate, right? So God doesn't do that for us, and we need to establish a foundation here. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in the things that you are doing for me. Don't rejoice in this. And here's one thing that you'll that you will get preached to you. 
But I'm just going to say it, it's, it's founded upon something good, but it's not 100% correct. What you'll hear is the, the solution to experiencing joy is to stop thinking about yourself and just think of others. Because the more you ignore your own problems and start focusing on other people's problems, the more happy you'll be. <laughs> no way! <laughs> You're not going to feel joy just because you ignore your own problems and focus on other people's problems. Do you know, I'll tell you something. Other people's problems make me more depressed than my problems. Right? I learned that being a pastor. Right? Like, I think my problems are bad. Then you know, I'm already depressed because of my problems. And someone comes to me, I'm like, whoa, you're way more messed up than I am. Dang. Like, <laughs> and do you know what? I'm going to tell you something. And, and you know, I, I, I'm not making light of people's issues. I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. But I, here, here's what I'm going to tell you. People will come up to me, you know, especially teenagers. They'll come up to me and, and they'll give me their problems and they'll pour out their souls. And they want me to just get this pastor magic wand and just ding. You know, you're better, right? You know, just muster up this, this thunder from above. God, you listen to me because I am holy, right? Bring power to this individual. Make them happy again, right? And, and so people will come to others and they'll be like, I, 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 they'll, they'll give me their problems or they'll give one of the pastors here their problems expecting everything to just be better. That's not always how it works. Everyone's problems are different. Everyone's, everyone's issues, what, what, what brings them down, it's, it's different for everybody. There's not always this four-step process. There's not always this, this magic uh, solution. There's not a pill for everything. You're trying to find joy, and you can't find it in church. So you go to the doctor, and you just ask for more pills can't find it there so you look for relationships or confirmation eventually you just try to drown it out by watching netflix you know and and you'll and you'll hear it preached to you that hey just think of other people just think of other people and you'll feel more feel more joyful that's the second part Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice in the fact that you got to cast out demons and heal people and preach the gospel. Don't rejoice in that. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Nothing that you do, whether it be trying to self-medicate yourself or nothing that you do, whether it be self-medicating or whether it be trying to help other people and expand the kingdom of God, Doing nothing but good deeds, nothing you do for God will ultimately sustain your joy. And I tell you that because, you know what? I'm imperfect. You're not perfect either, right? None of us are perfect here. So even if we're doing amazing work for God, eventually we're going to fail at some point. Or people around us will fail. And then where's the, the source of our joy then, right? Even if it's something good, even if, even if you're trying to find your joy in something amazing like a marriage or raising your kids, there's hard times even in that because we're humans and we're imperfect people. So anything we do for God or anything we do for other people cannot be the foundation by which we find joy. Forgetting about yourself and thinking about nothing but others do you know what? That may help for a little bit, but eventually it, it, it will stop working. We don't focus on what we do for God, but what God has done for us and continues to do in your life. What God continues to do with sustaining your life and giving you salvation, that, contemplating that reality is what gives us joy. Because when all the world crumbles around me, there's one sure, as it declares in Hebrews, one sure and steadfast anchor for my soul. Christ. 
one sure and steadfast anchor. We need to elevate the gospel. And guess what? The gospel doesn't involve anything we've done. The gospel doesn't include us. The gospel is nothing but but what Christ has done for us. We did not add anything to the equation of the gospel besides saying, that's cool, I, I want that, right? But God did everything. God is the one who came down, lived the perfect life, died again, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, resurrected on the third day so that we might have life in him. It is Christ that sustains our joy. And contemplating in our minds what he has constantly done for us, it will be that, ladies and gentlemen, that sustains you. Focusing on him, as it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all else will be added on to you. The first and foremost on our mind is that Christ loves me. And I'll tell you something, you know, in, in past trials that I have gone through, you know, I've gone through some heavy ones and not so heavy ones. Last year, I went, I went, through, I went through a couple trials, you know, and just feel, a feeling of rejection and, and just feeling depressed. And um, a few things that happened to me where I, I just I felt no love. And, and I'll tell you something. In my experience, no, nothing that anybody said to me, no amount of serving in the church brought me any joy. But there was there was this one time, and I was actually as I was as I was you know praying for you guys last night, and as I was you know just contemplating on, on what I wanted to share with you, I actually opened up my journal from a year ago. And there's this journal entry of just me writing to God and being super blunt and super honest with Him. And you can see like the watermarks where I, I was crying on the journal. You can see where the ink was smeared a little bit. And as I was writing, you know, just I, I was looking at my words. And I'll tell you something. What brought me comfort, because there were tears of joy and comfort. What brought me comfort is nothing that I did for anyone. No amount of me ignoring my problems and focusing on others. No amount of somebody coming and patting me on the back. But it was simply as I was contemplating how much Christ loves me. And what he's done. Fast forward to just a few weeks ago. God, you know, I, 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 have been, I, have been in this, I have been in this time of just realizing my flaws and being super hyper aware of them. And that made me really insecure about them, right? Where God, you know, you, know, you would rather just not know what your issues are, you know? <laughs> You'd rather just not know what your big sins are. You know, that way you could just, ignorance is bliss and you could just go on thinking you're awesome for the rest of your life, Right? But, but God made me super hyper aware of just these certain sins in my life that were super obvious to everybody except for me, right? And, and, and I was dealing with those, and I was feeling super naked and insecure. Like, everyone knows how just prideful I am and how this I am and how that I am. I just felt so exposed. And it was during worship a few weeks ago. Nothing, nobody, in, nothing, I, I, you know, and it was right before I was preaching, too, and nothing, it, what brought me joy was not coming up before people and declaring God's truth. And what brought me joy is in that moment where I was feeling so naked and insecure, God just said, you know what, I love you anyways. I still died for you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're currently doing, I love you. You are my cherished child. I adore you. And that's what God wants to tell you today. He just adores you. He loves you. And it'll be that which is the source of our joy. That is the foundation of our joy, guys. Not anything we can muster up in ourselves. But that, that our names are written in heaven when they don't deserve to be. That God has every right as the creator God to take his rebellious children and say, oh, I don't want anything to do with you. But instead he embraces us. And, and not only does he forgive us, he esteems us high. 
right? So it's not just like, all right, you know, I forgive you, you can come in, right? It's not like, I forgive you, but I'll never forget. Like, that, does, that, that usually means I don't forgive you, right, when you say that, right? I forgive you, but I'll never forget what you've done, right? That means I don't really forgive you. <laughs> Listen, God holds you in such high esteem towards the point of his son. Right? You wear Christ's righteousness. He holds you up here. It's just that those he justifies, he glorifies in Romans chapter 8. Those he justifies, he has justified you, he glorifies those he justifies. Right? Meaning you're not just this neutral party with God. Not, all right, I guess you can come in. It's no, I, you are the most beloved child right here. And so God holds you in high esteem now. And that is the foundation of joy, not what we've done for God, but what God does for us. And Paul is saying these things, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. So now that we've established that what we do for others isn't the foundation of joy, but what God has done for us, now Paul is saying, if this is true... If Christ is who he says he is, and if you believe who Christ says he is, and if he is the center of your life and what he has done for you is the center of your joy, then here, let nothing be done out of selfish ambition. Esteem others higher than yourself. Because here's the thing, the only reason I'm going to heaven, right? The only reason is because Christ decided to wear my wickedness, and now I get to wear his righteousness, yes? And so his humility is what I clothe myself with, right? I identify with Christ. Our identity, who we are, is wrapped up in Christ. And I've said this before. You don't get to be saved by God and then get to identify your own self, right? You don't get to all of a sudden wear Christ's righteousness and then make up your own identity, The very fact I'm going to heaven is because I have identified with Christ. I'm in Christ. Right? So you don't get to like come to Christ, go to heaven, but also be your own individual. You know what I mean? Like I just, I'm just going to do me from now on. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for giving me salvation. Now I'm going to go do me. Right? You don't get to do that. Right? You can't like, because you, you identify, we go to heaven because we identify with who Christ is. Right? We decide to be in Christ, in his life, in his plan, in his mission. Right? We've relinquished ourselves and our rights for the sake of gaining Christ. Yes? So his humility is what we clothe ourselves with, forsaking our past lives. So the part of me that wanted to be recognized, that wanted to be known, that wanted to be honored, that wanted to be praised, was nailed upon the cross with Jesus. So that part of me, that I'm just full of selfish ambition and wanting to gain, uh, just wanting to gain recognition from people or power or money or status. That part of me, when I decided that Christ was going to reign supreme in my life, was nailed on the cross. So you don't get to be about you anymore, Christian. You don't. Sorry. I must throw aside all thoughts that elevate my name in order to make room for the name of Christ to be elevated. Amen? Now, if Christ is truly the center of my life, then if I am living as Christ, those things that he loves, I also love. Right? And so this is where we come in to that verse. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than himself. Right? That's where this comes in now. Because now I have Christ in me. I love who he loves. It's not I love people because God tells me to. It's I love God and God loves people. Therefore, I love people. I love what he loves. We mustn't understand this. My glory is not dependent on what I do or do not do. It's dependent upon the grip I hold to the cross. And the tighter I hold on to Jesus, the more I love people. Joy is a result of oneness with Christ. And if I'm one with Christ, I will be like Christ. 
if I'm like Christ, I'll make a change in the lives of people around me. I will esteem my brothers and sisters higher than myself. It says in John chapter 13, um, this, is, uh, this is before before Jesus was going to die. He took off his garments and he used them as a towel to wash the disciples' feet. Yeah, We remember this story? It's not coming up here, but I'll read it to you. He said this, Do you not understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher, your Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that, also, that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, his servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I think it's so amazing. You know, and it's as I said before, Do not understand what I've done to you. Call me teacher. He is teacher. He is Lord. He is preeminent. He is master. We've already established that, right? I know I repeat myself a lot, but it's just in case, right? I need things repeated to me. And so I, what, what God is constantly always repeating to me is, Zach, I served you. And think about this. He took off his garment. Right? Which means he, he took off his robe, he got down na- naked, and, and, and used his clothes to wash the disciples' feet. He, he washed the disciples' feet, and he's, he's here, and he's getting dirty, mucky feet water all up in his business, and he is just joyful. And, and, he, and he does this, guys, to, as it says, to set an example that you should do just as I have done to you. But notice what comes first. It is internalizing the fact that Jesus has done this for us first. That Christ has washed our feet, therefore I wash the feet of those around me. And and we, you know, we're adults, we can deduce that we're not going to just go around washing people's feet, right? But serving others. Getting in the dirtiness of people's lives. And if Christ, guys, if Christ is the source of your joy, and what he's done for you is the source of your joy, then then even when others don't end up healed like you want them to, when when that kid that you have that has gone wayward, even if he doesn't come back when you want him to, when that coworker or your friend doesn't stop doing what he's doing, as far as his addiction goes. Like you've been trying to get him to do. Since your joy is not dependent on the things that you do for other people, that's not going to wreck you. Because I'll tell you, something that wrecks you just as much as your own trials is when people that you love dearly just refuse to be healed. It's almost a worse pain. Is when those around you just refuse refuse to accept Christ, refuse to be healed, refuse to be redeemed. And since your identity is not wrapped up in what you do for other people, you're going to be able to still sustain some joy even when others around you may be crumbling and it's not your fault. And this also helps you realize that their salvation is not in your hands, it's in Christ's. But nevertheless, as Christ has served me, I will serve. Others. So Paul says, do all things without complaining and disputing, as Christ did, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I'll close here, guys, with this. If a life lived for Christ means anything, serve those around you. If you have been redeemed, if there's any consolation in Christ, 
if there's any comfort in love, if there's, any, if there's anything that you've taken in from this gospel that has been offered to you, serve people around you. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to have all the answers. I'm a 21-year-old running like a youth and college ministry. You think I ever know what I'm doing? Like one, never once. Uh, like I, Dane and I are we're, we're organizing a camp for 120 high schoolers and junior hires. Never once have we known what we're doing yet. In camps in three days, we have no clue. But do you know what? Christ has served us, so we're going to serve people. It's not perfect. You don't have to be. Here's what's important. Do all things without complaining and disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Our our generation's crooked and perverse, isn't it? Funny though, Paul's talking about his generation. Yeah, every generation forever has been corrupt. (laughs) You know, it's not new. Like, oh, you know, like, you know, the end times are coming, right? (laughs) They've been coming for a while, right? Oh, this generation, it's, it's the worst generation, right? No, it's not. We have always been bad, right? Ever since the beginning, ever since the Garden of Eden, we have been killing people, right? And lying and cheating and stealing, right? Crooked and perverse generation, do you know what? It applied thousands of years ago. It applies now, and it'll apply a thousand years from now, okay? Crooked and perverse generation. And notice, as we serve, it says, do everything without what? Complaining. Or disputing. Some of you, some of me, have the ministry of complaining, right? I take it upon myself to complain, right? Because that is my contribution to the kingdom of God, right? The Lord is lucky, and the body of Christ is lucky that they have me to point out problems. Do everything without complaining or disputing. Because... Christ endured the cross silently, without complaining, without disputing. We serve other people without complaining, without arguing with them. We have a crooked and perverse generation. And I'll tell you something, they're not going to be won over by arguing. They're not going to be won over by your rant on Facebook. They're not going to be won over with any picket signs you put up there. I know for me, I, I, have, I have just such a combative spirit sometimes. The church isn't going to be won over by my complaining. I'm telling you, more than anyone in this room, I have a problem. Ask my best friends. I complain all the time. I want to not complain because I want to be blameless and harmless before people, as Christ was. I want to be as gentle with people as Christ was with me. If this life lived for Christ means anything to us, we serve people not on our own standards, but on the standards of how Christ dealt with us, right? That's why even serving other people, loving your wife, loving your husband, loving your kids, serving at your job, that's why everything needs to be centered around the gospel, what Christ has done for you first. You then mimic him in serving other people. Amen? We're going to take communion. Up here, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. It's communion Sunday. and This is a perfect way, guys. You know, Paul says, hey, do this anytime you meet. You know, identify with the blood. Identify with the body of Christ. And so as you partake in the bread, I want you to think about this. As you partake in the bread, you're partaking in Christ's body that was broken for you. He says, take this in remembrance of me, right? Remember Christ's body that was broken for you. He was whipped, he was crucified, he was stabbed, he was beaten. And he took it all, as it says, as a lamb who was going to the slaughter. He took it silently. And so as we identify with the way that Christ served us and just going straight to the cross... Forsaking all of his comfortability, forsaking everything around him.
that he, you know, he was afraid to be whipped. Yeah, you better believe it's going to hurt. But he forsook, he forsook his desires for the sake of God's desires. And then we look at the blood, the juice that represents the blood. And as we partake in that, we remember that it's Christ's righteous blood that has made us clean. That he lived a clean life that we were unable to. And it is his pureness that is poured out upon us. And, and he said, and um, when he was with his disciples in the Last Supper, he said, this is my covenant, take and drink of it. And so when you take of this juice, when, when, when you're taking this, Christ is saying, hey, this is my covenant. I want to do life with you. I, I, I don't want to just visit you every Sunday. I don't want to be just a name that you put on the back of your car. I want to be with you. I want a life with you. I want to live with you. And so when, when you take communion, it's more than just something that we do as Christians, right? All right, communion time, once a month. We're identifying with the brokenness of his body. His body broke so that we might be a part of his church body. And we look at the blood that was shed so that we might be a part of his covenant, which means his promise. Christ is saying, I want to give this promise to you. I want to promise you that I'll always be with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always pour out my love continually upon you. And you simply taking that juice, recognizing that it's Christ offered you, you're just saying, yeah, I'm in. You're just saying yes. You're saying I do. Us as his bride are saying yes to our groom. Amen? Lord, bless, uh, bless the sacrament, God. Lord, as we partake in communion, Lord, I pray that we remember you and God. In you and what you have done for us would be where we find the fullness of joy. As it declares in Psalms, in your presence is the fullness of joy. And so, Father, as as we partake, God, I just pray that you would fill us with this realization of what you've done for us, your sacrifice for us. And that we would not rejoice in anything that we do, but we would rejoice in what you've done for us, God. As we take this communion, we remember what you've done for us, God. That would fill us up. God, that would cause us to rejoice. And so, Lord, we love you. You love us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.